Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went with him. This is a very brief reading from John 6, and we're going to pick up the entire chapter of John 6 in later episodes. There's a lot here in the context of the Eucharist. John 6 is actually known as the bread of life discourse. Guess what the bread of life is? It's the Eucharist. Right. So, also one of the verses that made me Catholic. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. How can you deny Eucharist after reading John 6? So naturally, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, as we kind of continue with John 6 and in that passage. But this is a hard teaching to so many of the people who had already encountered Jesus. Um, they witnessed his greatness. They witnessed so many unexplainable miracles that he did, and they followed him. And yet... This teaching, this is a hard saying, they choose to leave him. Um, We kind of get to see glimpses of this in the church today. Mm -hmm. Because it is a hard teaching. It is, yeah. To to believe in a miracle, and the Eucharist truly is a miracle, that God becomes bread, that's a hard saying. Right. And we have we not kind of seen and they and they left him. Right? Have we not kind of seen that in the church? Yeah. We don't really want my Lord and my God to really focus on the negative and the disbelief. Um, instead, really bring to light the beauty and what we are meant to believe in. But this is a hard saying. Haven't we had, you know, two thirds of the church over the majority of the church who have said this, that they don't believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? Mm-hmm. Why? This is a hard saying, you know, to, to believe in the invisible is unwise right Mm -hmm. like i'm a smart person i'm an intellectual person but then to to tell people like i believe that jesus is bread maybe that makes us not seem smart or not seem intellectual it takes a a little bit of a humility to accept this exactly so that's really what what we're getting at in starting this episode with that because this episode is about humility what does humility have to do with the eucharist it takes humility from us to be able to accept the reality of this miracle that happens at mass. Right. So last episode we talked about God's humble act of love in gifting us the Eucharist, but that act is meant to be, um, reciprocated. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be, uh, it requires a response from us of that same humility in accepting the gift. Yeah. I love that you started with that scripture because as you were reading it and immediately the words that came to mind, Lord, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And and that was their response to that question. Are, are you two going to leave? Mm-hmm. Because people were challenged by Jesus' words in John 6. And I know we're going to have a whole episode or two devoted to John 6, but you know the words Jesus used in Scripture were graphic unless you yeah. gnaw on my flesh. Like yeah. there was no way to understand. And at no point did Jesus say, just kidding. Hold on. Don't yeah. you know a metaphor when uh-huh. you hear one? Uh-huh. It's that just was like a, a representation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And what is their response? 
Lord, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of life. I don't think it's coincidence that after, you know, a few years ago when we had the the abuse scandal in the church, the summer of shame as it came to be known, the readings for that first Sunday were those very readings. Mm -hmm. And I, I almost think it was the Lord reminding us of who's at the center, who's at the foundation of our church, who, who's at the heart, it's Christ. Mm -hmm. Lord, where else shall we go? Right. You know, it take, there's a humility in saying those words as well. Where else shall we go? You alone. That is a humble saying. Yeah. Are, are we willing to like ask ourselves that, you know? Because I, mm. I don't know. I think maybe it's COVID. Maybe it's any other reason. But we were kind of actually having a conversation about that this morning that, you know, people are like, where are where are people going? Where are they? Why aren't they coming back after COVID? And it's almost like um, the shutting down of, of churches just quickened what was already the reality. Right. Like they might have been sitting in the pew and coming to mass, but so many people's hearts weren't there and the belief wasn't there. Mm. So, you know, would you leave me too? It's like he's asking all of us that question and some of us have already responded and said, yeah, I, I'm leaving you. Right. And the reality is like these are hard teachings and the church is really so counter to what is going on in the world that mm. not just the Eucharist is the hard teaching. All of the teachings are becoming really right. hard teachings to live out and to preach. And we have to be able to like have that humility to respond to whom shall I go? Right. So it's not, it's the example of the apostles and their relationship with Christ that like we're called to humbly model. Yeah. I hear those words source and summit in there too. Mm -hmm. Lord, you are the source and yeah. summit of all things. My strength, my nourishment, you've given me new life. You've strengthened me to live that life. How can I live that new life without that nourishment? I am dependent on you. Yeah. Body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. That is my nourishment. That is humility yeah. to admit that. Yeah. Okay. So with that, like we talked about God's humility and I, I kind of went on this whole like, you know, I, I was spinning around like is God humble whatever <laughs> but the catechism's definition of humility is um recognizing that God is the author of all and so I guess the question is are we able to essentially die to self and recognize that God above all is in charge mm. uh, because that's what humility is so I guess my question is like first of all what does that have to do with the Eucharist right and then second does God where does God ask us to be humble and explain what humility is. Mm -hmm. Like those are, those are kind of what I want to talk about in the episode. Yeah. No, that sounds great. Okay. So yeah. what does humility have to do with the Eucharist? I think it has everything to do with the Eucharist because of our last episode, the, the, the scripture verse you rooted the whole episode in the humility of God is what Kara? Self, like it's his self emptying. It's the kenosis that we talked about in the last right. episode. Yeah. God humbled himself mm -hmm. took to on became man. and became man. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> what do you read right before that in that Philippians? Which, by the way, Philippians is my favorite Fred's, scripture verse. Yeah, Fred's favorite <laughs> book. <laughs> scripture yes. verse is a whole um, book. I think it's tied directly to the kenosis of Christ. For one thing, it's it, Christ is our model. He's our example. He gives us the model of holiness. It's his yoke we're supposed to take upon us. It's his mind that is supposed to be in us, as Paul says here. Right before the kenosis, we find, Do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. That stands out to me, Kara, because that's an interesting way to frame the kenosis, how God not only humbles himself to become man, but also 
humbles himself, as you always say much more beautifully than I can. So I'm going <laughs> to hand it over to you. Humbled himself to become bread. That's what I always say. You did great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was expecting a little more, but it's okay. <laughs> no, you did great. That's, I mean, that's it. Like, yeah, kenosis means self-emptying. So right. we always reference that as like, you know, God loves us so deeply to empty himself completely into human form, taking the form of a slave. But I think we forget to go, to take it that step further, or at least scripture didn't take it that step further, but we can, and that he humbles himself in giving us and becoming bread and giving mm-hmm. us the Eucharist, giving him, giving us himself and not just giving us himself. Like, um, one of Fred and Fred and my favorite book is, um, I believe in love and they have mm-hmm. a whole chapter on the Eucharist. Um, but where humility comes in, in this book in I believe in love it in this Eucharist chapter, it's talking about how when we receive Jesus, we become one with him. And I think when I read that for the very first time, I've read the book many times now, but reading it for the very first time, this idea really kind of struck me because before, I don't know if it's intentional. I really don't think it is intentional. But I think when we talk about the Eucharist, it's like God enters into our body. We are meant to become holy like Christ. And so it's, those are all true things. Those are true in our reception of the Eucharist. But we're not even taking it like to the fullest beauty of what happens when we receive the Eucharist. Not only is he entering into our bodies, not only are we meant to become like Christ, we become one with Christ. Like we are united so wholly, almost like what he says um, in marriage, you know, to become one. Like that's what's happening in our reception of the Eucharist. And you can kind of, this is kind of off topic a little bit, but you can kind of even see that when we talk about like, marriage is a reflection of our union with God in heaven. Well, mm. the church also says like the Eucharist and mass is a foretaste of heaven. Uh, right. Blessed Carlo Acutis says that every time we receive the Eucharist, we get a foretaste of heaven. Mm. So in that way, it's like our reception of Christ in the Eucharist could almost be likened to a marriage of a husband and wife coming together and two become one. Like we right. literally become one with Christ. And I think to accept that reality takes mental humility it takes like recognizing god as the author of all um to say like we're one with christ as you say that the words from one of our favorite songs comes to mind no longer slaves the mm-hmm. second verse uh i've been born again into your family your blood flows through my veins mm-hmm. your blood flows through my not veins. a catholic song i wonder if they know <laughs> the reality of that <laughs> um yes that's exactly right. His think about that, and maybe maybe that's a challenge to listeners too: is ponder that mm-hmm. that mystery. Like you are a tabernacle of the Lord. Christ dwells in you, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So, and I think in a very real way, in that moment, His blood does flow through your veins. And I'm coming back to that that scripture verse as as you talk about how He dwells in each one of us. I think that's where we get it an example of humility and what it means with the Eucharist too. And going back to, again, Paul's words right before that kenosis verse, uh, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also in the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. I'm reminded in our longtime draw near listeners have probably heard this story many times, but it's a story of Zoe, who is now my, she's now four, but she was three at the time. One mass we attended um, she, there was this elderly man sitting behind us and I could tell he was just enjoying watching our family. Mm-hmm. And he, he did, he watched our family 
throughout. Uh, and Zoe especially is, as you know, Kara, full of joy always. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was time for us to receive communion. And she got up and she turned to the man that was behind us and genuflected toward him. And I started to have this moment where I was going to correct her, like, no, no, we don't do that. We do that through the tabernacle. And it was like right then at that moment, I got the sense from the Lord, but aren't I in that man as well? Right. And it was just a really humbling moment of realizing, yeah, yeah, you are. Mm -hmm. Do we approach the Eucharist? like that and especially after we receive the eucharist do we have that reverence for one another another do we follow christ's example of putting others first right or are we fighting in the parking lot at who can get out first or you know this thing and that thing we didn't like about what this person was wearing or how their kids behaved whatever pick your thing to be upset about you know are we approaching each other as the tabernacles we are? Right. And how are we choosing to leave mass? Because right. we should be leaving changed, yes, mm. but changed because you are now one with God. Right. Yeah. There should be a, Lord, where else shall we go? Yeah. You alone have have the words of eternal life. Kara, that's exactly why I lately have been taking uh, up the habit of praying Padre Pio's Stay With Me prayer Mm. after I receive communion because it reminds me of this very thing. It's a humble prayer. It's a prayer of humbly acknowledging how much we need the Lord after we receive communion. If it won't get us too sidetracked, can I share it with the listeners, Kara? Yeah, do it. Stay with me, Lord, for it is necessary to have you present so that I do not forget you. You know how easily I abandon you. Stay with me, Lord, because I am weak and I need your strength so that I might not fall so often. Stay with me, Lord, for you are my life, and without you I am without fervor. Stay with me, Lord, for you are my light, and without you I am in darkness. Stay with me, Lord, to show me your will. Stay with me, Lord, so that I hear your voice and follow you. Stay with me, Lord, for I desire to love you very much and always be in your company. Stay with me, Lord, if you wish me to be faithful to you. Stay with me, Lord, for as poor as my soul is, I want it to be a place of consolation for you, a nest of love. Stay with me, Jesus, for it is getting late, and the day is coming to a close, and life passes. Death, judgment, eternity approach. It is necessary to renew my... Sorry. It is necessary to renew my strength so that I will not stop along the way, and for that I need you. It is getting late and death approaches. I fear the darkness, the temptations, the dryness, the cross, the sorrows. Oh, how I need you, my Jesus, in this night of exile. Stay with me tonight, Jesus, in life with all its dangers. I need you. Let me recognize you as your disciples did at the breaking of bread, so that the Eucharistic communion be the light which disperses the darkness, the force which sustains me, the unique joy of my heart. Stay with me, Lord, because at the hour of my death, I want to remain united to you, if not by communion, at least by grace and love. Stay with me, Jesus. I do not ask for divine consolation because I do not merit it. But the gift of your presence, oh yes, I ask this of you. Stay with me, Lord, for it is you alone I look for, your love, your grace, your will, your heart, your spirit. 
because I love you and ask no other reward but to love you more and more. With a firm love, I will love you with all my heart while on earth and continue to love you perfectly during all eternity. Amen. That's a good prayer. Very beautiful. It's uh, you have to sit in the front so you can receive the Eucharist and have the time to say the You do. That's but when you have kids, yeah, yeah. the smart place to sit is That's up true. front if you can. That's true. No, I like yeah. it, and I think you know the the question we started with to answer what does humility have to do with the Eucharist? You even hear it within that prayer. You know, he's he's recognizing this is Padre Pio's uh, stay yep. mm-hmm. prayer. He's recognizing, you know, without you, I am weak. Please don't abandon me or I fall. Without you, I'm in darkness. You know, mm-hmm. he calls he calls himself, he has a poor soul. Mm-hmm. So he's even humbling himself in the midst of just like calling, calling this petition of stay yeah. with me. After without reception. you, I have no fervor. Yeah. Like yeah. even to be excited, I need you. Mm-hmm. You are the source of my joy. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to kind of talk too about you know, does God actually ask us to be humble? What does that that humility look like for our own Mm -hmm. life? And I think naturally the reason we're talking about this is yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. He calls us to be humble the way I see it. Um, I don't have all of the scripture passages in front of me, so we can just kind of talk about some of them Mm -hmm. and rattle off some of them. But one of my favorite, like truly, truly favorite scripture passages, I think this might be, it might be my absolute favorite is Matthew 16, 23. And it says, those who wish to um, be my disciples, deny yourself, take up the cross Mm -hmm. and follow me. So not only within this, does this have what humility is, which is a denial of self, a Mm -hmm. recognition of God's will and he, and God is the author, deny yourself, take up the cross but then that invitation to follow me. So that invitation is like, you know, Jesus isn't asking us to do something that he isn't willing to do himself. God yeah. humbles himself to become man, but he also goes through every bit that we also go through. Like he goes right. through the temptations, he goes through the sufferings, but his response to them is far holier than ours. Right. He's giving us that model and then he asks us to do it. Right. So even in that, it's like, okay, He's asking us to deny ourselves, to be humble, to recognize God as the author. But we have to look at his example of this. Yeah. Like, follow me. So let me go through Jesus's example of that. Right. You yeah. Know? yeah. And as Hebrews tells us, and you reference it here, he's like us, tried mm-hmm. and tempted in all points, just like us, yet without sin. Yeah. St. Irenaeus, again, one of, another one of those people that made me Catholic, he was an infant to redeem infancy. He was a toddler yep. to redeem being a toddler. He was a teenager mm-hmm. to redeem being a teenager. Lord knows, I think back to my teenage <laughs> years, needed some, redemp- yep. or some redemption there. Yep. Um, tried at all points, just like us. Mm-hmm. He humbled himself, and we are called to follow his example, just like Paul says, with all humility and gentleness. Yeah. Yeah, and we went through in the last episode what those ways that he entered into um, humanity in such humility, but then elevated those, what those ways were. Um, I immediately think of the agony. Like, he has a complete denial of self. He is struggling in his humanity to think of experiencing all these, this hardship, this pain of what he's about to go through in his crucifixion and suffering. And, you know, he's like, let this cut pass from me, but not my will, but your will be mm-hmm. done. You know, even in that, that's such a beautiful example. And then he, he says in Matthew 16, follow me. Like, 
I have done this. I mm-hmm. want you to do it. And then throughout the gospels, we have calls to humility. You know, um, I forget who it was, but it, it was in one of the classes that I took and it, the professor was talking about the Beatitudes. And he basically was like, the Beatitudes are the blueprint for our life as a Christian. The Beatitudes are like, this is Christ. Blessed are the poor. He was poor. Blessed are the meek. He was meek. Blessed are those who have no place to lay their head. He had no place. Scripture in, in scripture, it literally says he, literally had, says he that, has yeah. no place to lay his head. So what he is calling us to, even in the Beatitudes, he lived that. Mm-hmm. And he says, blessed are the pure and humble of heart. So he's calling us to be humble, but then we also have to realize he was pure and humble of heart, right? right? So, and he, he continues, he says, unless you humble yourself and become like a child, then later it says the first shall be last, the last shall be first. And one of the things that we as Catholics have even incorporated into our mass is, um, are the words of the Roman centurion when, mm. you know, he comes to Jesus and he, he needs healing of his servant, and his response to Jesus is like, Lord, I am not worthy for you to enter un- into my house, enter under my roof. We say those words at mass. And what does Jesus say? I have not found a greater faith Absolutely. in all among you. Yeah. To this Roman centurion, he's not even a follower of Jesus. Whose words are now sacred to us. Exactly. They yeah. are remembered for all of time in the mass. And what are those words? They're examples of humility. Absolutely. I am not worthy yeah. for you to do this, for you to to enter into my house like I'm a sinner mm-hmm. is basically what he's getting at. So absolutely, yeah. Jesus asks us to be humble, but then he shows us what it looks like. It looks like a child. It looks like recognizing our unworthiness and it looks like living a life like Christ already led and showed us. Yeah. I don't think we have a long enough episode, honestly, to talk about humility and to talk about pride, but... Pride is the first sin. It is. It is. And and we see an example in Christ, in his kenosis of not needing to lord his position over others. Lord right. is a poor choice of words, but it works. Right. Hold it uh, over others. Hold it yeah. over others. He he didn't complain because of the circumstances of his birth. Mm-hmm. You know, he at no point did he say, you know, I should have been born in a palace. Mm-hmm. You know, um, at no point did he demand his position. Right. In fact, when he was interrogated in questions, oftentimes he didn't say anything. Yeah. Because he was confident in who he was. Right. You know, he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. He right. is the Word incarnate. I think that also gives us an example of you can be confident in who you are, but also still be humble. Right. And we see that example in Christ. I kind of want to challenge a little bit like we all have pride. We do. If any mm-hmm. if any person listening well, you do, I don't. Get out of here. <laughs> if any person listening is thinking, Oh, that's great, so and so needs to hear this or right. oh, that's all well and good, but that doesn't really relate to me, that is an example of pride. It is. Yeah. To not be able to um to admit to our unworthiness, to admit to the ways that we fall short, um, and to think ourselves, you know, above mm-hmm. XYZ. Um, that's pride. And so I think this topic in itself is relatable to every single person because it was the first sin of the angels. It was the first sin of Adam and Eve. It's a continual temptation of the devil. Pride is not going anywhere. It has become the anthem for a sin against the church in the world today. It's not going anywhere. Pride is not going anywhere. And Jesus calls us to be so counter 
to that it and is. to be humble. Yeah. To be humble. The example of Mary, you, you referenced a, a third of the angels mm-hmm. falling due to pride. Um, her words stand out to me. Be it unto me according to thy word. Yeah. Her words and her faith accomplished what even a third of the angels could not mm-hmm. in humility. And I think we see in the Eucharist, in Lord, where else shall we go? Mm-hmm. That same kind of affirmation, be it unto me yeah. according to thy word, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Mm-hmm. We see that in Christ's example, even how he refers to it, Lord, if it's possible that this cup should pass for me, then may it be so. Nevertheless, not my will, mm-hmm. but yours be done. Mm-hmm. I think there's a certain sense when we come to the Eucharist, that's the same disposition we need to have. Yeah. But especially, it's the same disposition we need to leave with. We receive God himself in the Eucharist, Kara. Mm-hmm. Isn't that incredible to think about? Right. How does scripture define God? Um, we did this in a recent Draw Near episode as well, I know, but I think it works here in how the Eucharist is supposed to help us to live this humility that Jesus is an example of. I think that's why the Catechism also points to The Eucharist is supposed to help us love our neighbor better. Mm -hmm. So let's look at the definition of love that Paul gives us, because that's the definition of the God that we receive in the Eucharist. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Mm-hmm. So maybe as we close out the show, maybe that's a challenge for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Next time you receive communion or anytime you're tempted to complain or grumble, maybe you say, Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. You receive communion. Lord, may it be said of me, Fred is patient. Mm-hmm. Kara is kind. Fred does not insist on his own way. Mm -hmm. He is not irritable. Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Mm 